You're listening to the Diary Discoveries podcast brought to you by Sally'sDiaries.com. Now here's your hosts, Sally Ivey and Jeff Richards. Hi, everybody. Well, first off, I hope you had a really good Thanksgiving. We did. Sure did. Lots has happened since this last episode that we put out. A lot of incredible emails have come in to us, right, Jeff? Oh, yeah. It's been great getting Mm -hmm. those. And we're going to share some of those. We're not going to do it on this episode. We got so many wonderful emails that we're going to, I think, make a separate episode and share them together. Yeah. And for people just listening for the first time, we asked people to write about the kind of diary keeping that they're doing. And we've received some really interesting replies. Oh, some amazing replies. And a lot has to do with, you know, I'm always saying it, that everybody has a story and a good story to tell. So a lot has to do with that. So we're really excited to share those emails. Yes. And this story, in retrospect, mm-hmm. would have been a lot better closer to Veterans Day, because we're going to talk about World War II a little bit. Right. And honor our veterans that we just had Veterans Day. So yeah, here we are in December, but there's a reason for it. Oh, we both got really sick we as did. far as a respiratory that just affected our voices for You, wa- you a wanted weeks. to record us, didn't you? I we did. So I wanted nice. to record us because I thought that I sounded like a cross between Barry White and Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> Sally, you weren't that bad. No. But, but we, I think we would have sounded pretty funny if we'd recorded uh, ourselves. Yeah, I think so too. And it made it all, me, you know it, what it made me wonder is about people that do this for a living, like on the news, and they their voices affected for mm-hmm. a couple of weeks. That's how I felt mine was. Or singers. Yeah. You know, when they have to, oh, just take such good care of their voices. Unlike us. Uh. Well, yeah. <laughs> Some people are probably thinking, hey, this worked out for us yeah. in our ears. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, but uh, here we are, and we're going to tell this story, and then we've got a special Christmas story coming up that yeah. we'll get out before Christmas. And we'll tell you a little bit more about that at the end of this episode. And this isn't a diary. This is a letter. I mostly collect handwritten diaries, but a lot of times it comes with ephemera, family lots come with letters, and then I'll just buy groups of miscellaneous letters. This was just one letter, but... It is so powerful. And what I found out after I read the letter and did some research, I thought, we need to share this. Yeah, it's a good story. With that said, I think we need to just get right into the letter. Well, this letter was written by William R. Davidson, and I found online his U.S. World War II Army enlistment records. It said that he enlisted on January 14, 1942, at Fort Riley, Kansas. He was born in 1917. So the year this letter was written, in 1943, he was just 26 years old. And he was writing this letter to his parents. Also said he was part of the Air Corps and an aviation cadet. So that gives a little bit of a background about our author. So I will go ahead and read this letter all the way through, and then we'll have some comments and we'll explain some things afterwards. It was written August 29th, 1943. Dear Mom, Dad, and all the folks, Today is my day off this week, so I'm going to spend it catching up on my letter writing. 
After the crash, I seemed to be the only one who could take care of the thousand and one little details. Colonel and Mrs. Smith were not able to get over for the funeral, so I called Colonel Smith by phone, and he gave me their wishes and desires. They wanted Bob's body cremated and the ashes scattered over Marchfield, California, Bob's birthday, from a B-17 piloted by Captain Keyes and myself. Bob's brother flew in from Washington in a B-17, and since Lily May would be here by herself, I stayed at home while Bill and Willie Keyes flew the body to California. Elise, Bob's wife, got to fly out with them in the plane. It was a training mission, and Bob was the instructor pilot. They also had an instructor bombardier and an instructor gunner aboard, 12 in all. They took off at 7.30 in the morning and crashed into the desert about 10 minutes later, 30 miles north of the field. Witnesses said that their number three engine was smoking. Their wheels were down. They should never have been down for a crash landing, and they were very low. The plane exploded before it ever hit the ground, and most likely everyone was killed before they hit. Captain Keyes and Lieutenant Skelly drove Bob's car home that evening, and I drove mine. When we walked into the house, Elise said, Well, there's the car. Where's the man? You just can't imagine how hard it was to tell her that Bob wouldn't be coming home anymore. There just isn't very much to be said now. A swell fellow, a great pilot, and a great fighter met an inglorious death in a plane he disliked to fly and doing a job which he disliked very much. On some of our missions over enemy ships or aerodromes, the anti-aircraft would get pretty thick and pretty accurate, and the old B-17 would buck and bounce around in the sky like a big wild horse. We would both be pretty tense and plenty scared until I would jump up in my seat and yell like a cowpuncher riding his bucking horse. Old Bob would look over at me, laugh, and we would bore right on in to drop our tons of hell. At other times, when the going would be a little rough, he would look over at me and say, If they get you first, I'm going to chuck you out the bomb bays and see how big a splash you will make. It was just that kind of an attitude that I'm sure helped us get over some of the rough places where if we had let the seriousness of the situation take over, we might not have made out so well. No, Dad, it really isn't as dangerous in this type of work as it was over there. You just read and hear about all the accidents here in the States while you never actually get the details of every ship that goes down in combat every day. I don't like the 24s either, so I just don't fly unless it's absolutely necessary. I have only flown three times since we arrived here, so don't worry about me. All I do is get in the required four hours of flying time each month, and you can rest assured that I'm on the ball every minute of those four hours. We are still working on the Washington deal, and I feel rather sure that it will go through before long. I'm sure glad that Robert has at last found a job that he is going to like. I finally got his vol pack off yesterday, but I'm afraid that it might be a little late. Can you send it on to him even if he has already left? I put your two books in it, Mama, as well as the roll of film we took at Hutchinson. I'm glad that at least part of the film was good, and we are looking forward to seeing it soon. Your deals really seem to be shaping up after all these months of work. 
If one of them comes in, we will most certainly be looking for you on a visit, no matter when it may be. No, Daddy, I don't think I can try for a write-up in Life or any of the other magazines. There are so many other fellows who deserve much more credit, praise, and publicity than I do, that I don't care to take up the space and paper with my stories, which in the first place don't compare with hundreds of other experiences. Thanks anyway for the offered help. I'm enclosing another picture that was supposed to be sent to the Associated Press, but I guess maybe it hasn't or won't come out. The picture of Bob and I together was supposed to be in the Fort Worth Star-Telegram. Maybe Mrs. Leeton will find it. If you can, you might send her the clipping from the Wichita paper. Lily May said that she would most certainly like to have one. Bob's father's address is Colonel A.W. Smith Hickam Field, Oahu, Territory, Hawaii. We still have our little house out here in the country, but it is pretty lonesome for Lily May when I have to stay at the field all night. We will probably move back to town as soon as I can find a place. Well, I must bring this to a close and try to get a few more of eight letters answered. Tell Mammy that her old Bill is going to surprise her one of these days and send her a nice long letter all her own. Loads of love, Bill and Kitty. As you can see, that was quite the letter. And as I read it, I just felt like I had to know more. Like, what was this crash? And how do I find out who Bob was? So I started my research. And there were some very, very interesting things that I came up with. When you read letters like this or diaries, you have to take as many clues as you can because Smith is a very common yeah, name. Yeah, yeah. Right? His father served, I believe, mm -hmm. in the service. Colonel. Yeah, Colonel. Uh, Bob, which would probably be Robert. And then the death date. That's very important. It was a specific death date and where it happened. When I took all of those things and I put them into the web, one thing led to another and I found, I don't know if any of you um, know about the Find a Grave website. It's a fantastic site. And on the Find a Grave website, it talked all about the crash and showed pictures. And that's what we want to share with you now, who this man was, Bob. Captain Robert Beach Smith is his name. And he was born on January 14th, 1920. So he was just 23 years old when he passed away in this crash. This is what the Find a Grave website said. Captain Smith served with the 457th Bomb Squadron, 330th Bombs Group at Biggs Field, El Paso, Texas. He was one of 12 airmen killed in the crash of the B-24E Liberator, 25 miles northeast of the airbase. The air crew had taken off on a training mission when shortly into the flight, a fire broke out in the number three engine. While attempting to return to the airfield, an explosion occurred, causing the motor to break away and collapse the right wing. The aircraft dove into the ground, instantly killing the entire crew. The crash was in rural southwest Otero, O-T-E-R-O, not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, County, New Mexico. And then after that on the site, it lists the rest of the airmen that were on the plane. Yeah. He talked about in the letter that he was flying a plane he didn't like. 
and doing a job he didn't like. But he also mentioned that they had been flying the B-17 in combat over in the mm-hmm. Pacific. So doing a little background research on this as well, found out that there were only two bomber groups of B-17s out in the Pacific. The rest were, they were transitioning to the B-24. So some of the pilots that had flown the B-17 did not care for the B-24. It had to do with its flight characteristics, mostly because of the wing design. So the fact that this was a fire on an engine that made the wing tear off, Mm -hmm. this plane, that would have, I mean, any plane would have cartwheeled, but the B-17 was known to be able to survive a lot of damage. And it was all in the wing design. The wings were a little shorter and wider, whereas in the B-24, they were longer and thinner. And it was also... Uh, where they were located. And so there was a lot more structure that could be hit on a B-17 and it could still be airworthy. The B-24 didn't operate that way. And in Laura Hillebrand's book, Unbroken. Oh, yes, yes. Yes. She quoted officers of the B-24 saying they were in a flying coffin. And so some pilots liked it, some didn't. Um, I think... There was a really long article about the differences between the two planes, and we're going to link it. So if you want to yes. look it up, uh, that was on the uh, Warfare History Network. So we'll put that on diarydiscoveries.com. So it explained it in detail, like who was in favor of, who was not in favor of the B-24. It turned out that they needed longer range and they needed speeds, but mostly the range out in the Pacific. So that's why the B-17 really wasn't used much after they uh, got more B-24s. And also they were producing three B-24s to two B-17s at the time. Now, over in Europe, it was the opposite. They loved the B-17, and it was the better plane, and that's the one the command wanted over there. It could fly higher, and so, uh, but it couldn't carry as much payload, I guess. Mm. So the B-24 had its limitations, but one of the things it had was more range. So it was like it could fly at least 800 miles more, I read. So that was important. Yeah. Well, this is why it takes two here. Oh, yeah. You know, when you read that letter, or when I first read the letter, I did not connect anything. I did not even think about the planes, you know, and he talked about not liking them. And didn't he say something about when he was riding at bunk or he was... Well, that was the B-17 because it would buck and jump. They were talking about the anti-aircraft fire and they experienced that in a B-17, even in the Pacific. So they weren't in the European theater. And it's also important to note that both these pilots had survived combat and now they're instructor trainers at this Uh. field in Texas. So you would think, well, hey, we're not getting shot at, but this accident took place. And he, he told his dad, well, hey, you know, you're, it's not really that much dangerous. You just hear about it more because mm-hmm. it happens right here in the States. But every day we're losing crews and planes mm-hmm. in combat. So very interesting well, stuff. It, it is. And why did it stick out to you? Well, I remembered Laura... Hillebrand's book, Unbroken, there was something about the B-24. You had read that book. And so that made me think, oh yeah, there was something about them. It turned out not to be in that case. So her book, Unbroken, is about, uh, let's see, is it Louis Zamparelli? He was 
he was an Olympic runner. He was shot down. His the plane yes. crashed. They were they weren't shot down. It crashed. They were flying a B twenty four to another island, and they or it was a search and rescue maybe that they were out, but it, they went down. And now there's three of them that survived the crash, and they're in a raft. So it goes on from there, mm-hmm. and it's it's a incredible story of survival and willpower and the grace of faith that he was meant to live, you know, through all this. It is. And speaking of, um, did they not make any more? Did they say there's just too much going on with these planes? We can't use them? No, no. They kept making the B-24s. In fact, they transitioned completely to them. But in that case with Unbroken, and we were getting probably in the weeds here for our listeners, but their plane had got shot up really bad yeah. and they barely made it back to a base. And so they were given a new plane that they were told was airworthy. They questioned it, but they were told to go out and do this thing anyway. And it crashed. Wow. And so it was all about the B-24 mm-hmm. with that. And I just had mixed up the B-17 thing, but it was true that some pilots hated the B-24. They preferred the B-17. So interesting. Yes. A great little side, well, I don't even know if it's a side note, a great piece of history to know. Yeah, what's well, part of the story. And so, yeah, his his friend is killed training other pilots. They both had survived. So they must have flown a certain number of missions, and then they were told, okay, now we need you guys to teach. And so they had to transition from a B-17 to a B-24 to teach it. So yeah. that's what was happening. Well, and to give some more honor to this man, uh, Captain Smith, on the Find a Grave website, there was a newspaper article about his ashes being scattered over the field, and I'd like to read that now. The article is titled, Ashes of Captain Smith to be Scattered Over Field. The ashes of Captain Robert B. Smith, hero of aerial battles of the South Pacific, who was killed Wednesday in the crash of a Biggs Field bomber, will be scattered over March Field, California. Captain Smith was born at March Field. The body was taken to California yesterday by Mrs. Smith, her brother-in-law, Captain William Smith, and Captain William B. Keyes. The brother of the dead hero arrived Saturday from his station in Washington. The two brothers had served together in the South Pacific, and both had received many decorations. The last that Captain Robert B. Smith received was the Oak Leaf Cluster to the Distinguished Flying Cross, awarded August 15th at Biggs Field. The Smith brothers, in becoming aviators, were following their father, Colonel Andrew Smith, Air Corps surgeon, who was the first surgeon to receive his pilot wings in the United States. Colonel Smith, who is stationed at Hickam Field, Honolulu, and Mrs. Smith are unable to attend the funeral service for their son at March Field. Mrs. Robert B. Smith, who was Elise Shaboya before her marriage in January, will go from March Field to San Jose, California, her former home. The Smiths had been making their residence at Yalita with another Army couple, Lieutenant and Mrs. W.R. Davidson. The Lieutenant and the Captain served together in the South Pacific before being sent to Biggs Field. Yeah, so that part there that you just read, that in the letter, he talks about when we walked into the house. And all that makes sense because they were sharing this house 
the Smiths and the Davidsons. Yes, yes. And now he's not coming back. This is how close this couple was. These mm-hmm. two guys were, and they served together. Yeah. It just, so now that you look back at the letter and see all this information, everything he's saying in that letter, like you said, makes sense. Right. And it's such a tragic story. Well, and they have that great humor about, um, if you get hit first, I'm going to chuck you out the bomb bays and see how big a splash you'll make. I mean, that's just classic stuff. It's classic. Two guys that know each other really well, serving in tense situation. Mm -hmm. It's that type of a bond. But then there's the line that he talks about when he talks to his father, tells his father not to worry. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, we found out some more information that we want to share with you. I really wanted to know more about our author, William Davidson. He was a lieutenant. Yes, Mm -hmm. yes. So I started doing research on him. And we know, you know, from his enlistment records, when he was born, where he was born. And then I found his death certificate. And you're not going to believe this. And Jeff's going to read some from his death certificate. Well, unfortunately, he died in a plane crash Ah. at Bigsfield in October. So only a few months later, after he had written to his father, don't worry about me. This happens. Even though I knew that, I have goosebumps. Mm -hmm. It's just unreal. Yep. It sounds like, well, I'm not going to read these details of his wounds. I don't think that I'll do that. But it was an accident at the west end of the east-west runway. Manner of means airplane accident. So now both of these young women have lost their husbands. They're, I don't know, maybe she was still living with them at the time. Maybe not, but... Wow. Two months apart. Two months apart. Both these men who served in combat, survived, are killed in training accidents. And and one scatters the ashes of the other or helps to or helps clean up, you know, with Mm -hmm. the whole accident and everything. Writes to his parents about it and tells his father, don't worry about me, dad. Mm -hmm. And then two months later, I was just, I was blown away. Yeah. That this happened. Flying a plane he didn't like. And here's the other thing. The photograph that he talks about, you know, he was going to send it to the Associated Press. Well, that photograph was on Find a Grave site. So we're going to put a lot of this stuff, the photographs, um, you know, all the different things that the newspaper article that give tribute to these men. We're going to put those on diarydiscoveries.com so you can see them for yourself. Yeah. Well... Again, we want to honor Mm -hmm. anybody that served, people that have passed, and people that are still with us who served our country in the armed forces. Veterans Day has passed, but it's not too late to remember them. We can have Veterans Day every day. I agree. I agree. So we wanted to tell this story, and we know that the holidays are coming, so we want to... Not end this on a downer note. No, but. no, no. I mean, this was, to me, it was a precious story of uh, two dear, dear friends mm-hmm. and um, one taking care of the other. And just your history about the planes, all that. Um, I just, it really pulled all together. But like you said, one of my favorite things that I have is a group of scrapbooks and photo albums. And they have to do with Christmas. 
My daughter found them for me. And it's the most, if if you want to get a sense of what Christmas is all about, and I, I don't think I'm overbuilding this. Oh, I'm just so excited. We're both excited to share our next episode. And it's going to come out before Christmas too, we promise. That's right. Mm-hmm. We, well, hopefully our voices will hold out and yep. nothing will happen, but we're going to try to do it so that you'll have something nice for Christmas to listen to. Mm-hmm. And again, we want to thank everybody that has written to us. Yes. Thank all of you who listen and tune into us. We know that there's a lot of noise out there. You could be listening to anything. So we are grateful to you. We hope you had a nice Thanksgiving. We hope you have a nice holiday season. And when you uh, hear our next episode, it'll be something uplifting. Yes, it really will be. And you will be hearing from us in a couple weeks. Okay. Thanks, everybody. For more information about Sally and her diaries, go to sallysdiaries.com.